evening, everyone. I always take a few minutes here, let the folks come into the room. Boy, we've got a, oh, we got a good guest tonight. I hope we can keep this under two hours tonight. Uh, we've got a guy here that has started so many, we're going to talk about, I mean, radishes. Uh, he, he helped develop some um, hairy vets that we use on our farm now. Uh, it's just endless here what Steve's done, and we're going we're gonna to let him talk about all that, but I want to say a couple things first here. Um, folks, we got to remember um, everything that's going on in Ukraine, uh, all of the atrocities that are taking place there. Uh, Steve, we're going to talk about this a little bit later too, Steve, but Steve actually did some coaching over online with those folks. Um, so please keep them in your prayers and and let's hope that uh, that we can get some kind of a resolution to this war that they they've been drug into. So, you know, that's my uh, that's where I'm at. Um, let's get started here. So giddy up. Let's go. Steve, how you doing? I am doing great, Rick. It's just a wonderful. It was a wonderful day here in Pennsylvania today, the weather wise and uh, just getting some uh, last minute fall things done. So uh, it was a good day. That's good. That's the, the fall, I don't know about, and I mean, I'm sure it's like this in Pennsylvania, Steve, but here I've never seen the leaves so vibrant, the, the color, the yellows, the reds, the oranges. Are you seeing that too? Oh yeah. It's uh, we're past the peak now, but uh, they're starting to fall, but uh, it was, yeah. yeah, you just can't stop taking pictures sometimes of the same tree you, know, you took a day or two before and it just keeps yeah. getting brilliant. And uh, so, yeah, that's, I, I hear you. Yeah. All right, Steve, I'm going to start with you like I do everyone else. Um, what's on Steve's mind right now? What do you got? I'm really uh, invested in this whole thing of food as medicine. Yeah. And I think it's the next frontier. I mean, we've all been through, those of us here that are, you know, like Rick and myself, you know, the no-till thing, the cover crop thing, the diversity yeah. And producing inputs. And all of us are kind of on that same path now. How does this translate into healthier food? Literally healthier, more nutritiously dense food right. that can literally change healthcare. Yeah. And I know that's a big topic, but uh, that's really what I'm focused on these days. So, yeah. And uh, we got, we're going to go deep here. I want to go deep with you, Steve, because you've got so many cool things going on, right? Every time I turn around, I mean, the other day you had a little blurb. I know you did this on purpose, but you said something about I had to go to the hospital. Right. A man was serious. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what happened to Steve? And then you read a little bit. Of, oh, okay. All right. So tell. Let's just go there. Let's let's go about your 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 CBD oil. Why is it different? Why is it better? And what are the experts seeing? So. Four years ago, I started with CBD uh, and growing it. And uh, because of those of you who know about this market, the on the biomass side, the farmer side of it, the price tanked. Yeah. And I always could, you know, I've been watching the CBD opportunity for years, literally. And I always thought I'd probably have my own brand because I love doing those things, starting new businesses and so forth. But I had a jump start a little quicker than I expected because. I needed to. The, yeah. the the product was that I grew was now almost worthless. And then the next question is, well, how do you uh, communicate to the consumer the value of regenerative agriculture in that? 
and uh, a little bit of backstory of why I was in the hospital last week. Okay. I was actually contacted, um, and I haven't really told this story to very many people yet, uh, but it's, it's starting to, to gel. So three years ago, I was contacted uh, by Penn State College of Medicine, uh, and they had heard that I was growing CBD, and they said, we have a department that were studying it. Would wow. you be interested in being involved? And I'm like, interesting. I'm trying to like, you know, hold my enthusiasm down. I'm like, yes. Yeah. And so the first year, I just gave them some of my um, my biomass, that what I grew. And they came back and they said, they actually almost interrogated me. Oh. What are you doing? How are you growing this? And I said, well, I, and again, not knowing their background or what they understood, I said, well, we use cover crops. We don't do tillage. I've been doing this farm, farming this way for years. And they were like, what variety do you use? And so I told them, they go, well, something's, something's unique about this. And, I, and I'm thinking, like, I hope it's what I think it is. Yeah, you're, you're wondering if it's bad news here, but I think it's right? leading up no, to good news. And I knew it was good, but I didn't know what. And what that led to, fortunately, the two researchers I was talking to grew up on farms. They had an agricultural background. They don't, they, they don't know, you know a lot of the modern farming, uh, you know, how we do things, but, right. but they got it. And so then in uh, CB 2021, we then developed a, uh, we used clones, which if you're interested, if you know anything about hemp, Yep. We cloned it, so it's the same genetic uh, plant off of, of one plant, and we we planted in my best fields. We planted some in my I'll call my middle of the ground, middle of the road fields, and I had a cooperating neighbor conventionally farm fields, and we put some in there. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, um, oh by the way, we also took soil health tests uh, at each location, and the way they ranked. In their and uh, and the, what they're looking for was one two three good uh, or the best uh, to the worst we'll say, mm -hmm. and now it's like oh my, I think we have something. And I gotta say this too, Rick. I've been testing some of my vegetables. I'm a vegetable farmer. If yeah. you don't know that, and we've been getting really really strong marks. We don't really know what a butternut squash should have, but we can go by the USDA average. That's yeah. well known. Uh, it's out there. And, you know, I was, I was well above that. So something is going on. Uh, there, there's a nutritional benefit here. Nutritional density is what we like to call our nutritional richness. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know that that was going to carry over into CBD, but working with a very scientific research institution like Penn State College of Medicine, we have found that there is a difference. Now we have this year's results submitted uh, and what I was referring to last week is they have now their annual uh, retreat, they call it, where they were with their research. And I didn't realize they were literally using my CBD for other projects. I didn't even know that. And then they surprised me more by a nice poster. I should have brought it in here. I could have showed it to you that they put up. I actually had it on my uh, Facebook. Yeah. And, and, and so... I was I was I was blown away. I was really surprised. Oh, yeah. there, there's a so, lot not to do yet, but this this is 
this isn't just anecdotal testing where like, well, they gave it to the person. They said, I think I slept better. Yeah. Actually testing. Uh, I mean, pretty much most of the testing still is in the laboratory animal stage. Uh, and, but that's, you know, that's of note and uh, to, to how they did that and how they do that and everything. It's just so, fascinating to see. So Steve, they just went to the store and just bought it off the shelf. And then that, 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 so it was no special bottle, no special stuff. Steve's got tucked in the back. This is what was right this, at the store, I'm assuming, right? Well, that, I gave them what I grew in my field. I gave okay. them straight stuff right out of my field. Now, to maybe where you're going with this, they have also tested off the shelf of other yeah. brands. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you this, and, and I never want to put anybody down at all, but there are some brands out there that have do not have what they claim on the bottle. Because the CBD industry is not regulated on the retail side, which yeah. is strange uh, because it's regulated on the farmer side, but not on the retail side, other than you can't make any claims because the FDA has not approved it yet. Yeah. Well, so it's a, it's it's really a crazy thing to be involved in, but uh, well, I believe this, it's the future. So that's why I'm that's why I'm sticking with it. This is cool, though, because this right here could lead to FDA uh, approval and and you know whatever regulate whatever they do to, to make it a safe product for human consumption uh this is really cool stuff and again steve this is like the stuff you do all the time in your life i mean you are always bringing something new to the table and and, and that's what's so so neat about, about what you and you do so thank you so much for that um what what do you think do you have any idea what what penn state is I mean, are they are they going for rheumatoid arthritis? Are they going for neck pain? I mean, do you know what they're trying to go down? Which avenue? So um, I have my little book right here, um, but it'd be just as easier, you know, for for memory. I can just tell you uh, they're looking at Parkinson's disease and control yeah. that. Osteoarthritis has been one, and we have, we've had people who are customers of ours that have experienced help in that. So I can kind of back that up anecdotally. Yeah. Um, anxiety is the number one um, issue really? that helps with, and and that maybe tied into better sleep as well. They're kind of the same, uh, but different personalities and everything can can uh, react to that differently. So wow. anxiety, sleep, uh, better sleep, and some of those different diseases. They're even looking at some of the other. We talk about CBD a lot. There are over a hundred cannabinoids in the plant. THC is the other popular one, marijuana. Right. Um, and, and I believe that has its place if it's ministered correctly and uh, very specific for, for specific reasons. But CBG is another one. They're looking in for high blood pressure. Mm. Uh, they, that's one of the research studies that they did. I, I actually supplied some of that uh, CBG strain that I grew in 2021. So there's a lot of exciting stuff out there. And uh, I just, you know, for me, I just so much appreciate that we can have some solid science backing it up. Yeah, okay, so so take us through here, Steve. You're, I mean, Steve's in, in Pennsylvania. So he, he you know, he's little, uh, takes a little while to warm up in the spring. He probably has a shorter fall. Um, tell us how you do um, hemp from the way Steve Groff does it. You, you've got a cover crop, how you doing this? Yeah, we always have a cover crop uh, in every single field. And I still have a couple, my last fields of, uh, of squash, we just took off to finish. I'm, I just have a few acres to finish. 
uh, getting a cover crop in. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's, that is, we, we, we value cover crops just like our cash crops. Oh yeah. So what I've found for hemp and I, and I kind of, uh, you'll, you're going to appreciate this. Uh, I, I found out that cereal rye in front of hemp, we get fiber hemp, because I'm growing that now as well. Uh, cereal rye is not a good cover crop. Okay. He actually, uh, the way I found that out, I should have known better, uh, but you're going to understand this when I explain it. I also, I'm using a lot of uh, black oats, the Cossack black oat. Yeah. I like that. That's one of my new favorite cover crops. So we had, um, I actually planted a hemp maze last year in 2021 that we did. That was a lot of fun. I saw that. Half of it was uh, hairy vetch, and which I had known that hemp loves hairy vetch. Okay. And there's something there's something almost magical about hairy vetch in front of tomatoes, which I'm a tomato farmer. I've been using that for 25 years now. And I had been told that hemp is similar to tomatoes. Well, since I'm a tomato farmer, that made that kind of transition easy. So I knew from my own experience that hairy vetch and hemp, they like each other. There's, there's a symbiotic effect there. It's really good. But where I had planted hairy vetch and cereal rye versus hairy vetch and winter oats, the, the, the hemp did not grow as good. It was more lethargic. It was behind. It doesn't have the emergence. You could see it right to the line. And I was, I was on the phone with the hemp um, uh, guy had the seeds that supplied the seeds. And I said, I'm trying to figure this out. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, doesn't cereal rye have an allelopathy? Yeah. And I'm like, I should have known that. Yeah. The allelopathy I don't feel hurts corn very much, but I'll tell you, allelopathy is small seeded broadleaves. Yes, right. What's hemp? Small seeded broadleaf. I'm like, duh, Steve yeah. Croft, the cover crop coach, he should have yeah. known that. Yeah. But he didn't. So that's uh, okay. That's right. I mean, that's now, right, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like now it's okay, duh. Well, we don't plant cereal rye in front that of him. Makes, that makes total sense. Total yeah, sense. So, What's the time of year that you're planting hemp? So I'm going to divide it into two categories. The one is the fiber uh, or grain, you could say. That we plant as early as first part of May, whenever okay. the weather's you know, right. And, you know, I, I don't go by dates. I go by more of the weather. Fall yep. temperature and expected weather over the next seven to ten days. That's the big factor. So we go early for that. For the CBD side, we're pushing now into the middle of June. Okay. We have, we have learned that it's better to wait. Uh, and I can win all that, but probably not. So this is an hemp. Uh, okay. Now let's talk about termination now. So you, let's go to, let's go to the fiber. It's May the 12th. You like the weather. You're going to start planting. What do you got? You got four feet tall black oats right now. You're going to. Uh, three feet probably then. Yes. And you're going to plant green right into them, right? Oh, of course. Of course. Okay. Then how are we dealing with the the oats then? So if that when it's that early, I'm going to have to tickle it with a herbicide before okay. I roll it, and uh, then we roll. And okay. Then we, or we plant and we roll after we plant. Um, it did. That's I don't have a exact prescription. I don't have rollers in my planter. I I tell people for me, I roll when it's time to roll. I plant when it's time to plant, and they they can be the same day, but a lot of times they're not. 
So how resilient is the, 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 the hemp? I mean, what's it look like when it comes, I mean, could you roll it at, at two inches tall and it stand right back up and be okay? Uh, you could, I haven't pushed that yet. I've, I haven't pushed, I haven't rolled it. And I know where you're going with that because that's some strategies you use. I need to try something. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 next year, I'm going to be doing a lot more experimenting because I'm with a, a grant that's uh, studying all this stuff. So, uh, Good. yeah. That's good. You know, Steve, I was real close to getting into the hemp market back when everyone said you were going to make $100,000 an acre. Oh my gosh, am I glad I didn't did. get involved. Yep, yeah, I hear you. Yep. Yeah. Um, hey, we've got, a, we've got a question here from Joe. Um, Steve, what do you attribute most of the difference of your CBD versus others? Well, there's there's a couple things. Uh, I mean, I, I do feel that the way I grow it, uh, the history I've had, the soil health is definitely a factor. Uh, another yeah. factor is the variety. And there's 100 varieties you could plant. I'm not choosing the highest CBD that's out there, but I'm choosing to work with a variety that works well in my farm, works well in my area, I'm working directly with a hemp breeder and, and, and someone who is from Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and small enough scale that, that, you know, he can come out to my farm and we can look at plants and evaluate them because I want to have consistency in my product. And so I'm, you know, zeroing in on one specific variety that has shown to do well. Yeah. The variety I'm using with uh, Penn State and so at this point, I'm sticking with that variety. I'm not saying I'm never going to change, but we're trying to improve that variety. The weakness of it now is I want to direct seed CBD hemp. That's hardly ever been done. And there's very few, if any, varieties that are, have the early emergence that's necessary for direct seeding. All the CBD varieties basically came from marijuana. And all marijuana basically is grown indoors in a controlled environment. You don't need any strong emerger. Yep. When you put that same genetic out in a cooler soil, a wetter soil with whatever whatever's out there, it struggles. Um, so that is another component that I'm trying to factor in to in the in the I guess you'd say the breeding of the selection of that. Steve, what your what everything you've just talked about. Is what I call epigenetics. Yes, and that is where you're trying to get the seed to adapt to your system. Exactly, and that's exactly what we're doing here with soybeans. Now I've gone back 30 years, got genetics that are off patent. We are now in year four, and these beans are adapting to our system just like the cereal rye is, and that's exactly what you're see. And I'm going to also go out on a limb here, Steve, and I'm going to say that if there was someone doing similar things to what you're doing in let's say california they're going to want a different variety than what you're using in pennsylvania that's correct yeah and i know you're going i reckon i i i i'm i'm tracking right with you and i'll just say farmers need to take back control yeah. of farming farming is more of an art than as it is a science although they both they're both there and, and you you have to take control. I, I think farmers, the, the stereotypical farmer, and I'm not against crop consultants. I'm sure there's crop consultants listening. I'm not against that. But you better have a crop consultant 
that is right with you and tracking with you and carries a shovel in their pickup truck. Yeah. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Fight your crop, consult crop consultant with what your goals are. But farmers need to get back to the art of farming yeah. and to look at, and, and we, we have, we have literally made it almost too easy and we have to take control uh, of our own genetics more and own everything. And, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to get off the grid, so to speak, but no, yeah, no, but you're, you're thinking about your dynamic system, your dynamic soil mm -hmm. and how can it, how can its attributes help this seed? That's exactly the way I think about it. And there's going to be a day come when we're going to be right, Steve. We will be right. And I think we're right now. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, Ludmila, hey, Ludmila, how you doing? Ludmila is from the Ukraine. Um, mm. And she's saying, or can it be 45 days apart? I think she's coming back to a comment when I asked you about uh, when are you terminating the cover crop based on planting the hemp? So I think Ludmila is, is referring now to me when I'm doing it 45 days later on soybeans that are a little bit more resilient. But Steve, you know, I got to think, when I think of hemp, I think of giant ragweed. I mean, isn't that <laughs> what it is? And it looks like a... you can't kill this stuff. So I'll bet you could roll it at, I'll, you need to try it next summer. Do it for me. Try, you know, four or five inches tall. And I'll bet it will bounce right back up and you'll pick up another 15 to 20 days of rolling those black oats down. No, that's, that's, that's great. And I do appreciate that suggestion because, boy, once that gets above six inches, that stuff takes off and there isn't one weed out there to compete with it. I mean, yeah. I ended up growing 15 feet tall. Now, we harvested it at 10 feet. Wow. You talk about something that was... That that's was, biomass. Yeah, that's the biomass hemp, the fiber hemp. Okay. Now let's talk about for uh, there's a couple questions piling up here. Hang with me, folks. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now Steve, let let's talk now. Let's go to the other side of the equation. What about hemp for a cover crop? Does that is could that work? Could we can we manage this stuff mechanically to where we could still raise a corn crop or a soybean crop through it? So I posed that question's been posed to me several times. I've thought about it. And I cannot see a very clear reason to use hemp as a cover crop okay. because the, the very fast growing varieties that are the, the fiber ones, you know, once they get, you, you'd have to terminate it pretty soon because they get fibrous. That's what they are. Okay. I'm telling you, you talk about people going to cuss you out. Yeah. If you have long eight, 10 foot longs of fiber in your field, like mini rope. Yeah. And you have closing wheels that have spokes or spikes on it or road cleaners that spokes or spikes, they will wrap up and and you the farmers will not be happy. Now I've I've been able to put up with some of that in my testing and so forth, but I'm telling you, that is no fun. We literally on our drill, we got spoked some closing wheels on our John Deere drill. And we had to, I mean, we spent like and my drill's only 10 feet wide. We yeah. spent like an hour on that, just cleaning out them spokes and yeah. Oh, goodness. Uh, so I, I, at this point, I don't see a fit okay. for hemp in a, as a cover crop. Now, sun hemp is a different story because it's a legume. It's not quite as, as robust. Um, so that's my, 
I guess my short answer, Rick, I don't see hemp to be used as a cover crop. It's a great crop for the soil. That okay. I can tell you. But um, maybe not, maybe, maybe there's a place for it, but it grows over the summer. You know, it slows up in the when, when it's when it starts getting cool in the fall, it starts slowing down. So I don't I don't know. I, I don't I'm really see it as a cover crop. I'm assuming also it would not be a good feed source for livestock either. Is that it hasn't been known for that. It tends to have a bitter taste. Um, they, uh, you know, we've heard people have deer problems with hemp. I have a decent deer population and they don't eat my hemp. I'm telling you, they're not in okay. my hemp. Um, if there's a soybeans or alfalfa or anywhere, they'll walk through the hemp field to get to that for sure. Okay. All right. Well, I'm just trying to think process oh. because I'm always looking for biomass and that's yes. what we need. Now, okay, so I'm also, again, I don't know much about this product here. Is this a nitrogen hog or, or does, I mean, did you have to feed it a lot of nitrogen or tell us about that? So, you know, I, again, scoured the internet trying to learn myself and you'll, you'll see some people pretty much say, well, it's such a deep brooder. It doesn't need hardly any fertilizer. Yeah. And you have other people say, well, no, you need to fertilize it like corn. So that's the extremes. Okay. Um, so I'll just tell you what I did. <clears throat> you know, my soils used to be two, two and a half percent organic matter. Now they're five average, 5.56 in the strong sixes. Yep. So I got a little reserve there. We put on 80 pounds of actual nitrogen via ammonium sulfate. That's the yep. only form of nitrogen I use. I'm a small grower. So the, the higher about, you know, doesn't bother me. Yep. And that was plenty. To grow how a, many pounds uh 80 pounds of nitrogen actual nitrogen uh, so out of a out of ams yes so that's like 120024 i think or oh uh, well, it's 21-21-00-27 is the yeah. actual sorry i got that backwards sorry yeah yeah so so, so 80 pounds of in 80 pounds of in gets you 15 feet tall oh yeah wow yeah, I think I could have done less. I had one little skipper and I saw it. I could see it or the, you know, it was a couple feet shorter. So, yeah. so it needed a little touch uh, if you want to say that. And the other thing is I got to work with planting dates because, you know, my hairy vetch still wasn't maximized yet. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of factors and variables. But this, these are the things that I'm going to be studying, you know, how this come how this comes out the, the the grant that I'm involved with with I iconoclast is in five different states and I'm going to be a consultant for for the, for four of those states um, and so we have to learn a lot over the next couple of years as we actually research some of these things in in the hemp space yeah I think this is awesome um, let's get back here Steve um, I've got a uh, here, this is from John and I apologize I don't know why but in the chat I can't see everyone's full name I don't know why THC levels have gone up a huge amount in recent years through both environmental and breeding advancements how refined are the hemp genetics in terms of CBD levels currently so you said THC and you mentioned CBD but I'll I'm not sure which one but I'll tell you in the fiber varieties, very few of those varieties have, have hardly any THC. 
Uh, they all have a little, uh, and they have a little CBD. If you're talking about the CBD type varieties, um, it's really, see, by law and in 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 nationally, we have to be under 0.3% THC. Okay. And I would say that most varieties will eventually, as we say, go hot, meaning they'll go over 0.3 if you just leave them yeah. And you got to be careful about that in every state as their protocols about when that testing can occur in in the context of when you harvest. Some day, some states was 15 days, some are 30 days, and so there's kind of a window of a wiggle room in there. Okay. We're what I'm in favor of. Let's just put it up to one percent and make our lives a whole lot easier. Because if you're concerned about getting high. 1% would not do it. Uh, I've been told uh, it's, it's 12 to 15% before the, the, the pot people are interested. Uh, okay. so it, it's like it's like driving 20 mile an hour on the interstate. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. This point three and, and some, you know, how people are people in, in, in the government and some are just so steadfast to the rule. If you're at point three one, you got to burn your crop. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's just unfortunate because because it's not hurting anybody at that such a low rate. So uh, the varieties they're being bred to try to stay under that, but very few of them can if you leave them grow as long. It'd be like you have to harvest your corn silage, you know, when the first uh, silks come out. It's like yeah, um, yeah. Uh, well, I'd love it for one percent THC, and then 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 there would be no issues. Yeah, well, that's good. Uh, give us your website for getting these products. And Rachel, would you type this in the uh, the chat, please? Yes, my farm name, cedarmeadow.farm. Cedarmeadow.farm. Yeah. And, and there we have, you know, if people are interested in how we grow. I have a lot of, in the about section, I have a lot. Uh, yeah, you got it right there, Rachel. Yeah. yeah. Um, spelled right, perfect, everything. So a lot of, a lot of information there and how we grow um, and, and so forth in our products. And um, now here, here's a great question coming here, Steve. This is good. Right. Uh, this is from Joe. I think it's Joe Kellich. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Rick, you've done companion crops. What about hemp as a companion? What might you grow with it? Now, now we're getting somewhere here, Steve. What could we grow with this? So I'm assuming we're probably talking about fiber. Um, and yeah. I'm asking that question myself um, because I got a little vulnerable this August when I took my fiber crop off. I still had some residue in the soil, but not much because, as you know, Rick, a healthy soil just eats it down. It's gone. And I, you know, again planted a little early, so it wasn't as mature and, and everything. And we unfortunately had a drenching downpour and it was a sloping field. And for the first time in many years, I had a little soil erosion. And I honestly, I just hated that. Yeah. Even though, even though I planted a cover crop in there the day the baler left the field, I did everything right, but the rain was like two days later. Yeah. And so you talk about, you know, in my context here, I'm talking about I have to try to get something growing in under that understory there. 
And but how do you have something growing? You know, it's hard enough to get something in, in corn silage or corn, yeah. you know, and hemp. We're talking 12 feet tall and planted with a with a 15 inch planter at uh, 600,000 so feeds per acre. So how many? 600,000 seeds per acre. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's like dark, dark. So I don't know. I'm not sure what I can plant in there, but what I'm thinking is I just got to let my covers grow more. I got to plant a little later to protect that soil and that vulnerable time. Um, How do you harvest? So again, I heard uh, from others that a sickle bar is the best way to cut it. Yeah. And we have, uh, and I also heard a, a double cut sickle. There's, a, I don't know, some of you have probably heard of these. They originate out of Germany, I believe, but a double cut, there's two sickles. They, they go against each other like a true scissors action. Yeah. And um, we have INJ equipment here locally, the same people that build the rollers. So yeah. we're familiar. They also have these sickles. And <clears throat> Jake left me use their little old three point hitch, as simple as can be. He actually, it was, it was rented out to Amish. He actually put a three-point hitch on for me to cut this head. And I'm telling you, we were four to five mile an hour easy and never stopped. I mean, it, there's a video we have up on our website. It was just awesome to see. Yeah. Uh, cutting down 12-foot stuff. Uh, I saw it. It just fell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was mesmerizing. <laughs> and, uh, and, that, and, and I was told by someone else, you got, it can't be too windy. And they were right. Yeah. I thought if you went fast enough, maybe it would it would you know just fall back. But we actually stopped cutting that afternoon, and the wind wasn't more than ten miles an hour. But it would blow it, and then it would it just wouldn't lay nice. So we yeah. quit. So the wind died down, and finished the field. Uh, but but I, what the where the future is because we had some. It was difficult then to to we couldn't ted it uh, because it's twelve foot. You can't ted twelve foot stalks. It'd be a mess. So we did, um, we did do some where we cut four feet tall and then cut it again. But the latest in hemp cutting for 12 foot high hemp is to have a four stage cutter bar, four cutter bars, two, two to three, two to three feet apart. Oh. It cut four times in one pass. That's another cool thing to see. Yeah. That's what the future is in cutting hemp and harvesting. Because then we can tet it and then we can rake it better. Uh, so one thing about hemp, that, that goes through a retting process, R-E-T-T-I-N-G, retting. They want two or three rain showers on it because it begins to break down some of the, 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 oh. the plant to make it easier to process. So we left it in the field two weeks and we started around a couple of times uh, and, and then we bailed it when it got dropped. So, okay, so now you've got this it's not windrowed. It's just it's just basically dropped right where it was standing. It's just now laying down. You've gone a couple of weeks. It's started to turn brown. It's been maybe a rain rain event, whatever. How are we picking it up? Well, we have a rotary rake, and that worked good. We had to really be careful to adjust the forward speed with the rotor speed, just so it just grabbed it and moved it to the side. Yeah. Um, then the big concern was we knew this was a concern was where the hemp literally pulls down around the pickup of the baler. We, we put it in big square bales. Um, I, I tried to convince my Amish neighbor with his new Holland round baler, and he said, I don't think I want to get involved in that. I said, okay, because uh, he had heard some stories. But 
we didn't have much trouble. We did clean out his pickup. It's my neighbor who does it. We cleaned it out because in the outside edges, it did start wrapping. And the teeth on those uh, on his baler were, were curved in a little bit. So they're more aggressive for hay. Mm -hmm. We don't need that when you have long stalks. And that pulled it back around. But what I've been told now is when you cut it in three, two to three foot sections, you don't have the problem, the wrapping on the pickup itself. Other than that, there's no issues. Yeah. It failed right up. That's fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, would uh, see this from Bryce. Hey, Bryce, how you doing out, out in Kansas? Would it be cost effective as a cover crop? What is cost per pound? We already talked about that. So tell us what's the cost per pound on this stuff, Steve? Uh, for the seeds? Yeah. For the hemp seeds? Yeah. Um, well, full disclosure, I was working with a grant. I was given the seeds. I didn't pay for them. Uh, boy, that, I'm, <laughs> my, my mind's telling me a dollar a pound, but I'm not sure where I'm at on that. I'm sorry. Okay. That's I guess all right. That, that's the luxury of working with a grant and having stuff supplied. I didn't have to buy it. So, yeah. Yeah, I know Bryce is uh, big into cover crops. He's got a company that sells them. So he's thinking like I am, how can we get this incorporated into a system somewhere? But we got to be careful. Um, you know, if you're still using some chemistry, then then I'm all about all these experiments. But when you are trying to do it like we are here of mechanical only, whew, I got to be careful here. And it sounds to me like hemp could get out of control. So. I'm going to let you work <laughs> on the cover crop aspect and you call me up and tell me yeah. what it is. Yeah. So, but th this is, this is fascinating. Let's see. We got John here. FYI, I had considered adding hemp with my cover crop mix to pick up some heavy metals, but I asked the local ag department here in California. And since it is regulated, I would need to go through the same process and expense to register our fields, no THC. That's insane. Oh my goodness, it's beyond insane. Not only that, he'd have to go through an FBI background check, which I've had to do, and you'd wow. have to pay a permit to the state. Yeah, they they treat us like criminals. Uh, you, you, I'm just saying, if you're interested in growing ham, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you grow you, if, if, what you do it, cover crop, whatever. It's yeah. I mean, I got my bank account shut down four times because people find out. Oh, you're involved in a Schedule One drug, and yeah. I, I literally just I'm working I'm working with um, with my son to get a beginning farmer loan through the FSA. And they're like, uh, "You grow hemp, right?" I'm like, "Yeah." Would it be possible if you would like put that hemp in another entity because that's going to really screw things up? Oh, for heaven's sake! Yeah, uh, yeah, that'd be better. So that's where we're at right now. Um, you have to be willing to put up with some. I'll be kind here with some in with with some difficult, frustrating, confusing things. Yeah, yeah. So, now that that'll change eventually, but uh, it's it's crazy out there. Yeah. So so Steve, do you think? I mean, do you have fencing put? I mean, is it to the, is it going to get to that point? No, no, that ain't going to happen. Uh, oh. No, no, we don't have to have that. There's there if you're if if you're growing i'll call it this way medical marijuana yes but that's a different we're not talking about that today yeah no we're not talking about that no no fencing in any state that i'm aware of for cbd or fiber or anything like that it's just that you have to have a permit for the state and then you got to get it tested got an fbi background check um and and that you know it just comes it's standard procedure yet so that's what you got to do yeah 
Okay. Let's go back now, Steve. Let's go back. Why in the world did you think to come up with a tillage radish? Why did you think this? So, but I was working with Dr. Ray Weil mm-hmm. from the University of Maryland from 1996. Yep. And, and we became friends over that. And he had multiple grad students, ended up doing a 12 year continuous project where the premise was get this, do cover crops pay? Yeah. Well, after year four, we had a dry year here and I got 28 bushels of corn more where I had planted cover crops the previous three years. And I haven't asked that question since, but yeah. I'm trying to prove it to people who still ask that question today. So in 2001, Dr. Weil, uh, that, pe- that previous winter was down in South America in Brazil. And he saw them using these radishes that they were claiming was suppressing soybean cyst nematodes in their uh-huh. soybean fields. And so the radish they were using um, was uh, called NABO, uh, N-A-B-O is the variety. And he came back, well, he couldn't get that radish here. And he said, we need to test this brassica. There's a brassica thing going on. So, and, and I said, well, I don't plant many soybeans and I don't think I have a soybean cyst nematode problem. But he said, well, Let's do the research. I said, sure, fine. And uh, which is ironic now, my attitude at that point, but I mean, I enjoyed working with them. And so 2001, we planted a couple different brassicas, oil seed rape. Uh, and there he planted a daikon type radish and there's three or four other ones we planted. I didn't think anything of it. Uh, next spring, when I was planting corn through the plots, I noticed where the radishes were that the soil was much more mellow. The corn grew quicker, it seemed to. We took yields, it was 12 bushel more. Is this showing up in your other farms? Because you had done it in five other farms. He says, yes, every single farm, the radishes had the best yields. Like, okay. So we did a year two and repeated it and got the same results. And I'm like, where do you get the seed for this? And he said, well, I, I, it's hard to get and I'm still trying to figure it out, yada, yada, yada. Well, I got, I decided uh, I'm going to grow some. Well, I had been in Oregon uh, for the SARE conference. The National SARE conference was out there like in 2000, whatever, two or three, whenever that was. And I actually happened to meet uh, a seed farmer and was totally intrigued by the Willamette Valley. I mean, if you've never been there, it's a place you, you can't imagine until you see it. And uh so it was just fascinating. And I called this farmer up and said, how do you grow radishes? And he told me a few things and I put 10 acres out and I thought I was gonna have enough radishes for like five years, you know, and everyone thought I was crazy. And uh, so fortunately I had a neighbor then who had a, 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 I didn't have a combine at the time. And he said, yeah, I'll try to harvest them. You know what? It took us three hours to figure out to get anywhere close because all the pods were going in the tank. We didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. But you know what? I sold all those seeds that year. Word started getting out. And uh, and then I grew 21 acres the next year. I grew 40 acres the next year. I grew 70 acres to follow. Like I like, so I went to Oregon trying to convince seed growers to grow these. And everyone said, basically, you're from Pennsylvania. We don't know you. This is just a fad. You're nuts. Yeah. I came home, I came home discouraged, uh, literally. But um I'll give a shout out to Garth Mulkey, who who kind of believed in this, and he started growing growing for me. 
and uh, from that it kind of took off and boy that's a whole nother story but uh yeah it you know i we coined the term i didn't like the term tilly dratties at first even yeah. i was like i'm a no-till farmer and you know when that when that idea come up tillage raddies i i resisted it for a month turned out to be pretty brilliant i think uh, <laughs> but um yeah so so that's that's kind of how it started and and I, I will say this i will say this there was a lot that went on behind selecting the radishes. i tested i was up to 17 different types of radishes that i was testing my testing always was associated with yields i tested yields what was the following corn and soybean yields yeah. And I found that the long white taproot ones were the ones that did the best. Well, then if I wanted to make a variety, unfortunately, I had no idea where this was going. So the best one was an open pollinated variety. So it was like free to use. But since I had it on the market for more than two years, you can't PVP it. Oh. That's the rule. So I had to start over, so to speak. And I had to, you know, do all, all through all that. But, uh, you know, so... Oh man, it was it was incredible how that just took off. Uh, well, thank you for doing that because yeah. when when here on this farm when we are in that weather window of time, a radish is in every cocktail. It yeah. has to. Be. Yeah, and I still do that today. Uh, even though I'm out of the business, I radishes are all the way in till the end of September, beginning of October. Yeah. Then I switch it in with uh, oilseed rape. But um, yep, you come to my farm today. Actually, today I'll, I'll have to tell you this quick. The, um, the Pennsylvania Association of Sustainable Agriculture was in. They did their, their soil health benchmark study, which we do every year here. And uh, two new gals were here today, and uh, they were commenting about the radishes because I have some that are huge planted back in August, and some that are very tiny just planted you know a month ago or so. But yeah. uh, but anyway, yeah, they're still all over, sprinkled all over the farm. Well, Steve, you know when you've got a good radish crop is when all the neighbors wonder what the <laughs> smell in the air is. Now you've yes. got a good radish. Yes. Yes, uh, boy, back in the early days, we used to get some complaints uh, about that. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about Harry Vetch, another one of my species I like to use. And I think it's pretty widely used in the uh, mechanical termination world. It's, it's widely used in chemistry world, too. It's just a great product. So, let's talk about your. Uh, is it Winter King? Is that what it's called? Winter King is a variety, yes. Um, that that that's an interesting. I never set out to develop a variety of hairy vetch, but that those genetics started on my farm way back in the mid nineties. Oh, that's crazy. And I just kept using them, and and um, I had a neighbor tell me once because I was selling to the neighbors. If I had a good crop, I might sell a thousand pounds, you know, to the neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, and once that guy said, I used. You're right. Your your hairy vest survived the winter, and the other stuff I got did not. Yeah. Really? Oh, I didn't know. I mean, I had no idea. And so then, uh, 2006 and seven, Penn State and Rodell had a pretty large cover crop uh, uh, trials of all kinds of different things with the USDA at Beltsville, Maryland, with the um, uh, with their with that center there. And wouldn't you believe my variety, as we called it then, the Groff Selection. It showed it ranked near the top for winter hardiness. And it was it was in several different states. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Well, then I got to thinking that 
almost, and it, this was through discussions with different people, the, the two main places where hairy vetch varieties have been developed are Oregon and at Auburn University down in Alabama. That's kind of warm. That's kind of warm. They don't have cold winters. And then I started looking at the freeze thaw cycles. I'm in zone 6B here in the east, in mid-Atlantic. And it's a really tough to find, but I kind of found some, some, something to back up my theory. We have one of the most, uh, the, the most days of freeze thawing of any place in the United States. Really? Winter. And so there's two forms of winter hardiness. The one is the sheer coldness or the wind chill factor is the one. And the other one is the ability to withstand freeze thaw cycles. And anybody who grows alfalfa knows what heaving is. Oh, yeah. And, and where the, the soil, you know, freezes and expands. And if the roots can't expand with that, they tear off and it'll kill alfalfa. So you need varieties that get used to that, are able to, you know, uh, work with that. So the same things with um, with cover crops. So a lot of you probably know Dwayne Beck. Uh, Dwayne Beck had some, um, I think now it was lentils, that he wanted me to try here in the East. He said, oh, they grow in South Dakota. You won't have any problem, PA. And so I planted them, and they almost all died. They didn't survive the winter. And it's like, why in the world? That doesn't make any sense. But we figured it out. It was my freeze-thaw cycles. Yeah. That's what it, it wasn't able to withstand. So then I started selecting my hairy vetch. I was more aggressive with it. And then I took it to PVP and got a variety called now called Winter King. And actually, uh, just as a, a note here, I, I just I'm, uh, I have several tests out now. I have, an, I have an updated version of it. I'm testing it against my, what for me is my old version that's out on the market. Just yep. to see now, hopefully we have a hard winter because we don't have a hard winter, you won't see any difference. But Winter King is designed, and I, for the last 10 years, I specifically uh, selected the survivors of late planted hairy vetch. Uh, so so that's, that's really, really what its claim to fame is. It's not a short season hairy vetch, which mechanical people would prefer, uh, but it, it's a, it, it ranks up near the top uh, for biomass production. Uh, it's a decent vetch that's out there and you know it's it's you if you have to plant later um you have an opportunity my goal with the variety is an ambitious goal but my goal with the variety is to make it the legume version of stereo rye mm -hmm. and what i found out i planted hairy vetch every week from the end of september into december the 15th anytime i could sometimes in weeks that i couldn't it was too wet or the ground was frozen and the, anything planted after Thanksgiving, the fourth week of November, generally will come up in the spring because it never really germinates. But the month of November, the, the latter part of October and November, now I'm speaking here in southeastern Pennsylvania, you got to keep that in mind, that's the toughest to grow because it sprouts, germinates, might come through the ground a little bit, and then has to go through the freeze-thawing cycles. And that's the toughest, that's the oh. toughest aspect. That's the gap we need to close. I see. That's what I'm trying to do. So I don't know that if we ever get there, but um, that's my goal. That makes sense. I never thought about it like that. You could actually have it at the wrong growth stage when the winter event hits versus a later planting. Yeah, you, yeah. Can, plant any, you can plant almost anything after December 15th if you can get it in the ground, except peas. That's a stretch. They don't, I've tried them really late. They, they just, they'll rot on you. But anytime from January 1st on, if you can get in the ground, 
anything will probably grow that's you know cool season of nature uh, wow. because it just it just doesn't grow it doesn't germinate and it's usually the ground's frozen quickly thereafter or whatever and of course some years you don't have that opportunity ground snow covered or frozen now could we do that uh frost seeding also same same concept there um frost seeding generally in my mind is meaning broadcast on top i like to yep. see it go in the ground um, okay you know your small seeds like clover red clover is notorious for frost seeding into wheat um that was my grandpa used to do that my dad did that um yeah. you know but uh vetch is a little bigger seed it's a little ex too expensive in my mind to throw it in the ground okay all right that makes sense yeah uh, maybe the Balanza clover, the fixation or whatever, maybe that would work. I don't, I don't know, uh, but that's a smaller seed. Yeah, we we get we can get by with that because um, you know you've got to abide by the 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 frost rules, and we're way past that time. Um, so, but you know, I've switched to your your Winter King and had great luck. I think I called you a couple years ago. I wanted to buy some from you and you said, no, I need to go to a dealer. And that, and that's what we did. And it's worked out great. So, so thank you again. Good. Um, what, uh, let's go to, let's go to this Ukraine. This is so, this is so, um, I, don't, I can't even think of the words I want to use here, but to give you a phone call, who called? Who, the State Department called, who called? No, I, I know some people in Ukraine. They've been here, visited my farm several times. I I actually was um, a, a, a couple times invited to go to Ukraine, and it never worked out. I was 20 miles from Ukraine when I was over in other Eastern Europe countries, but I never got over there. But I've had a connection um, with, uh, with Ukraine for over 20 years. And okay. it was through that connection um, that, that I was contacted and it was basically so some of the farmers didn't get anything planted because of the war. Um, they, you know, Ukraine isn't no, known for a lot of cover crop use yet. So some of these guys are thinking, well, maybe we should plant a cover crop this summer because uh, yeah. we didn't get our corn or our beans planted or whatever. And um, so it was quite humbling. When I, you know, when they opened up the webinar and, you know, some of the farmers were talking about the tractors being blown up with landmines and being careful about that. I mean, can you imagine? I, I just can't imagine that. So, can um, you imagine sweeping a field for landmines before you're going to go plant it? Yeah. So this is an interesting thing. So I sent my slides, my PowerPoint slides ahead so they get translated. Yeah. And one of the things that I routinely have in my PowerPoint presentation is you got to think on a 10-year plan. If you want to make cover crops, regenerative agriculture work, it has to be a 10-year plan. They said, can't use that slide. These guys just want to survive this year. Yeah. Like, wow. That is, that is, that, that's sobering. That's sobering. So, you know, I did keep the slide in. I just, but I didn't harp on it because uh, I knew it wasn't what they needed to hear for the yeah. moment. Uh, but, but, but wow. Um, so I, I haven't really heard much follow up, but it, it, you know, they're farmers, man. They're farmers like you and I, and and their, their lives are disrupted and and um, in this way, and not knowing what's going to happen. I know things are picking back up again lately, and it's just such a shame. And, and I personally think it didn't have to be. 
Yeah. So where so did they have access to to seeds and and so, certain species? I mean, how did you? Yeah. So I've been I've been uh, connecting with multiple times with cover crop people uh, trying to learn to grow cover crops. And it's a little easier for me to help that now that I'm out of the business myself and yeah. it's just an effort to help them. And so one, one farmer in particular, you know, I feel like he's just like me, just trying to, trying to grow some cover crop seeds for, you know, diversify his income and just asking simple questions. How do you grow chili radish? And, uh, you know, I told him what I knew. And so they do have enough of momentum now, aside from the war, of cover crop interest um, that there are some locally produced and actually, you know, they're, they're getting to, they're getting to the point where there's some people that know more what they're doing yeah. and it's becoming a, a viable option. Um, but, you know, when you're just in a, a mode of survivability, I think that's works for you and against you in this whole movement. And, and I'm not sure how it's all going to shake out. But um, but yeah, I, I felt that there was there was it, it was it was a different presentation. You know, I you've given hundreds of presentations and and you know that was a different one. Well I'm telling well, you that was different. That yeah. Yeah I mean you are you are talking to someone who's trying to just figure out how to get to the end of the summer, you know exactly. to get to harvest. And then then when you get to harvest, do you have any infrastructure to even store your grain in? Right. So, I mean, this crazy. Here, I was waiting on Lou Mila to come in with the, with a comment. Here she is. Yeah. Uh, Steve, your webinar was amazing, and it was discussed a lot by Ukrainian farmers for weeks after. And once in a while, someone will still bring you up even now. No, there you go. That's cool. Well, thank you, uh, Luda, for that. I, 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 I appreciate your support. Uh, that does mean a lot. And, you know, I felt like you know, so many of us, what can we do? Yeah. Well, I had that opportunity. That was my little piece of the, but you know, Steve, what I could. So thank you. I mean, it takes, it takes courage to do that because you're stepping a little bit out of your comfort zone. I mean, you don't, you don't know what, what's, what they are truly, you've got an idea of what they're facing, but not truly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate you, exclamation point. It meant a lot. So there right, you go. Thank you. I appreciate that, too. Yeah. That just made your day. Yes, yes. Um, so what, what else is happening on Cedar Meadow Farms? I mean, I mean, Steve, I've, I have never seen anybody crank out as many products as you do on your farm. It's unreal. How many crops are you growing? I'd have to, I'd have to count them up. Uh, I mean, 50? Uh, well, if you count the different varieties, uh, well, I, okay. I did plant 104 different varieties of pumpkins and squash. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, but that, a lot of those are test varieties. I can't help it. I just can't help it. Uh, I won't plant that many next year. It's like every once in a while, I just, you know, the, the whole thing with the pumpkins and squash is, especially with the pumpkins, the, all the decorative stuff. Now that's the, that's the rage, all the flat ones, you know, the different colors and all the weird stuff, the weirder, the better. Yeah. And some of the weird looking stuff doesn't yield, you know, so you just like, okay, that's, that's cool, but I don't get anything out of it. Yeah. Just trying to figure that out of 25 different varieties of heirloom tomatoes. And that's, that's part of the marketing, part of the, the diversity. Again, there's, there's so many things. Diversity is not just about, you know, uh, the crop rotation. It's also other aspects. Well, as yeah. Well. 
it's the cash crop itself. So now explain what you mean by heirloom tomatoes. Is this an old genetic? I mean, what do you mean by that? So the heirloom is a term applied to tomatoes that are generally over 50 years old. Okay. Um, some of you might remember here of Cherokee purple is a really popular one. Amish paste is another and Brandywine is maybe one of the more popular ones. And uh, they're known for their taste, but the bad thing is they don't hold up in any kind of weather, rainy weather. So we grow them in high tunnels. By the way, I put my high tunnels up on my 25, 30 year old no-till field. So we continue to no-till. I, I think maybe uh, that we might have the only long-term no-till high tunnel tomatoes in the world. I don't know for sure, but I don't know anybody else doing it. And it's working, man. Uh, it's it's just we're we're growing cover crops in my tunnels over winter. I got newer structures that are heavier duty to stand snow because I need to grow my cover crops in the winter. And uh, so now, now hang on, time out. So is this tunnel permanent, or do you move these around the farm? Funny you ask, uh, because I generally move them every three to four years, and today is the day we were working at that today. The next couple wow. of days, we're moving them to to we. We knew it to new ground because when you keep growing one crop, tomatoes, in the same place, you're violating a principle of rotation. So um, we're so we're moving them. Um, and now with what I know, and it's going to open up another can of worms, I'm I'm really trying to address almost every challenge with nutrition, uh, with growing, with with gearing the plants, making sure they have the selenium in there, the uh, what have you, the silica to fend off like powdery mildew, uh, to fend off um, <clears throat> certain insects and so forth. And, and, and we can do this. And then by the way, guess what? I got those nutrients packed in there. Now that's a better, healthier food product for, sure. for human beings. And that's where my whole thing now is food is medicine. <clears throat> and, to, yeah. and to try to use that and um and and so that's a whole nother process and i'll just i just need to mention that i'm working with um with liz haney and the regenerative verified uh label that that i want to put on my products and yeah. it, because selling the selling the regenerative story is a little tough it's not as easy as you think maybe everyone loves it okay oh that's nice steve uh yeah. you're keeping nitrogen out of the chesapeake bay that's nice yeah. Good for you. Uh, you know, what's a cover crop? And you tell them, and oh, that's great. But you know, to to, to there's always the, the the people who are gonna want to buy that. But to get the masses to yeah. to get their attention, so I want to use this this label, regenerative verified, as a way to get their attention and so forth. And I know they're having a big soil health event coming up in Iowa here in first of uh, December. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm telling you, uh, regenerative is where it's at. I don't care if you're, you know, you know yeah. whatever other labels you want to add to that. And there'll be another word probably come out in the next couple of years. But that's where I'm at right now. We're trying to regenerate everything. And, and I'm trying to get away, you know, for as much inputs as possible. Um, so so yeah. that's, that's a, you know, yes, about my tomatoes and my squash. All those, all those is what I'm trying to do, get nutrient-dense products. I've got, I just had a thought here for you, Steve. Now, maybe you're doing this. Um, can you run chickens through those high tunnels, through the uh, through these cash crops and let them do what they do? 
So the answer is yes, you can, but I have not yet. You need to do so, that. Well, here's the beauty of the second generation or the next generation. Um, you know, I'm not a cattle guy like you. I just never had cattle. No, I do have six buffalo down here in my pasture. Yeah. Uh, so I can I can say I'm a cattle guy, but I'm not a cattle guy. Yeah. Uh, my son David went to New Zealand for a winter, their summer. He was on a six thousand head of sheep farm well he got the bug for animals well now he has some sheep in his little place and so i told him he's gonna have to marry someone who loves animals <laughs> well he got married and and she did not grow up in a farm but she loves animals they have ducks now they got chickens egg chickens they have uh meat chickens they're running all over the place. They were at their place. And so we are now starting to strategizing because I said, I'm not having animals in my farm unless I fence the whole perimeter because I do not want to worry when I'm out speaking and who knows where. And then I yeah. get a phone call, your cows yeah. are in the road. That, yeah. yeah, not good. Uh, so, so getting back to your question, chickens in the high tunnels, uh, that may indeed happen sometime. I think I, that'll work. And I think depending on what species of cash crop you're growing in there, I bet you could also do sheep at certain times of that growth cycle. Mm -hmm. Sheep like to eat low. And so, you know, yep. I'm not saying tomatoes is the thing, but I think that's worth investigating. And then it, it kind of helps with your uh, principles of soil health theory, or not a theory, but reality that you cannot plant tomatoes for indefinitely in the same spot. And you wouldn't want to anyway. The diseases would tear you up. Swallborn, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I just, I, you know, I'm like you, Steve. We're just constantly trying to think about how do you do something that's a little bit out of the normal thinking process. Yeah. Um, chickens, I, I like chickens. I've got to figure out how to get chickens on the farm here. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I, I, I've been impressed with ducks, actually, of all things. Uh, what I've seen, just they, they only have a couple, you know, a couple dozen, but still, it's like it gets our feet wet. You know, we get the yeah. and, and everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah, it, like my son was telling me, and it, uh, those of you who are into this know this, but he said, you know, the ducks, they eat more grass because their bills are wider and they could do it. Chickens can't. Oh, like, yeah. Chickens oh, pack. They pack. <laughs> yeah. Ducks. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you know, that's what I need in our soybean fields or ducks that take care of the little foxtail that grows out there. I don't know. Maybe that's up for you to try. <laughs> and then have pasture. They wouldn't be pasture-raised ducks, but they'd be regeneratively-raised ducks. How about that? There we go. Uh, well, what have we missed here tonight? I mean, Steve, you got so many things going on. What What have we missed? Oh, I'm... I'm uh... I, again, I've, I've danced around a little bit, but I think farmers, we as farmers and, and guys like you and I that are out in the, in the public more uh, need to reach, reach the non-agriculture uh, consumers, I'll call them. And that's yeah. what I've been doing the last year or so, uh, where I've, I've been trying to reach, like I spoke at the Rotary Club, for instance, uh, and I asked for a show of hands how many people that and I like to do it this way. How many people come from a farming background? Yeah. Not one hand went up. Yeah. And then during the Q&A, someone said, you mentioned N. What is N? 
<laughs> well, I just used N as nitrogen. I, you know, I got to, you got to change your language here a little wow. bit, the way you talk. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's just amazing. Everybody's raving over all this stuff and the public gets it. They get it better than farmers do. It's actually an easier crowd to talk to. Yeah. And, uh, so that's, that's kind of what, what I'm trying to do uh, is because, because I think for a lot of the middle of the road farmers, they're not going to change just because you're helping the environment a little bit. Uh, you know, there, there might be incentives, you know, there's all kinds of things we can talk about out there, but if the general public is, is more or less demanding healthier, nutritious food, you're going to have to go through the regenerative path to get there. Yeah. There's no way around it. Uh, so that's part of my angle uh, to, to educate the public, uh, the consumers, the eaters out there to, to understand a little bit more because they are really naive. And we have such a chasm between uh, those who eat and those who grow the farm, grow the food. They just don't understand each other. And then the other thing, Rick, is this whole medical juggernaut that we're up against, then big pharma. Uh, you know, why aren't doctors talking to farmers? Right. It's the question I put out there. They right. shouldn't. Why yeah. aren't doctors prescribing food as medicine? Yeah. I'm not saying we ban pills. I'm not. I'm not there. Uh, but let's talk about food because get to the God root made, cause. God made food, you know, for for us to eat healthy, uh, you know, and to be to to remain, you know, generally well and 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 good health and so forth. So, you know, I think a lot of people they agree to that statement. But what are they actually doing about it? Right. And and for me personally, I have done something about it. I was a little overweight, a little high blood pressure. So two months ago, my wife and I embarked on a journey working with a functional medicine doctor. And I'll tell you, I've lost 25 pounds um, in the last two months. And I have I like I want to go 20 more. And it's all with eating. Now there's yeah. a little supplements in there, but it's no. It's no off-the-shelf diet that we bought into, but I'm telling you, I need to prove it to myself. And the other thing I'm doing is we're putting up a winter garden right up by my house, so we can eat our own stuff year-round. Now I can't probably grow everything that we eat, but I'm trying to grow more of it. And I'm doing that first of all for me and my wife. Our children are all married and gone now, but number two, so I can so I can tell people this is possible. This is possible to grow your own food and, and grow nutritious food. And that's where that whole soil your undies thing is a lot of fun to talk about. Because you tell yeah. anybody, you want to know how your soil is healthy? Bury a pair of underwear and find out. Anyway, I, I know I hit you with a lot there. But, um, hey, you talk no. about making farming fun again. It is. Well, yeah. And, you know, Steve, I'll tell you what. I When I think of, of, of human health, You've talked about just the side of human health of a more nutrient dense food. I like to also incorporate the human health aspect of no longer being around those caustic chemicals and herbicides and insecticides and all, I mean, skull and crossbones on a lot of these products. And if we can start eliminating those from the farm sector, we'll have much healthier people. Absolutely. So it's, you know, and, and I want to, you know, I, I don't do this in every episode, but I'm going to do it here. 
Uh, and you may not know this, Steve, but I may, I've just recently within the last two years been diagnosed as a type two diabetic. And I've done that to myself with my poor eating habits when I'm not away, or I'm sorry, when I'm away from home, because my, my, my wife, Carol, will fix everything I need for a healthy diet and, and, and you know, blah, blah, blah. But then I have a little health issue and all of a sudden, you know, the red alarm's going off and we got to do something different. And I'm with you. We've changed our diet. It's, it's a low carb, low sugar diet. I've lost 15 pounds and I, f I feel great. I, I feel great. Yeah. And you are, you are exactly correct, Steve, when you say that if you want to really drive that message home, then you better be doing, you better be practicing what you're preaching. Exactly. And, and that's what you're doing. And it's, to me, it does magnify my message then. Um, and, but, you know, primarily it is for me because, you know, I'm 58 years old. Hey, we're the same And, and, uh, Okay. <laughs> when, you, when were you born? What month? February 22nd. I'm January. You beat me. You're older than me then. Yeah. 30, <laughs> 31 days. I'm January 20th. All right. All right. Good for you. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, we had a comment here from Ludmila. Uh, Masanobu Fuku, Fukuka raised you know, ducks. One, one straw revolution. Yeah. Raised ducks in, in his rice and barley fields. Yeah. You know, yeah. I read that book. That was one of my early books that 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 did actually um, impact me um, originally. Now it's a little hard to apply a lot of his practices to a way we farm, but the principles. Eh, there's a lot of intriguing yeah. things there. So thanks for bringing that up, Luda. But that one straw revolution. If you can get a hold of that book, it's a it's a fascinating read. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. Um, and I, I know I know somebody else who wrote a book. Um, <laughs> something about something about proofing your farm. Tell us about your book. Yeah, that so that been exciting. Thank you. The Future Proof Farm. I wrote that book. It's uh, it just came out two years ago now, but it's a it's a timeless message. And it's not a how to farm. It's not how to grow cover crops. Don't 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 look in there for the seeding rate of rye planted in November the first. Okay, it's not there. What it is there is, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of the stories from my travels around the world and so forth, but it's really a lot of the things we talked about here this evening uh, and, and how I see the, where the future of agriculture is headed. It's about the nutrient density um, uh, component, and it's more than just the environmental aspects that we've been kind of using that to hang our hats on the last two decades. Yeah. Um, and it's and it basically, if you don't change the way you farm, you may become obsolete. And I don't say that as a threat. It's just like, guys, listen up, uh, gals. Uh, the, the, we got to move with what, what does the consumer want? One of the titles of the chap, one of the chapter titles is she's your new boss, meaning the, the shopper out there who yeah. is shopping for food, looking at the labels and everything. And I believe there will come a day where almost every aspect of selling anything you grow will you'll have to demonstrate some sort of we'll call it what you want sustainability regenerate or whatever you have to demonstrate something i mean look at adm they're even talking about this look at cargill the big boys yeah you know they're out there and, and you know that's really nice i had a discussion today about that it kind of validates what we're doing 
And some of these big players are going to continue to throw farmers under the bus. I get that. That's probably going to happen. It always does. But it's an opportunity for those who want to spend a little effort and time of getting a market that will appreciate what they're growing. Um, There's examples out there. I mean, look what you've done uh, and others, uh, you know, you just have to, you just have to do some introspection of where you want to go in the future. That's what the book's about. So stevegroff.com is where you can pick it up. Not hard to do. Luke uh, Myla put it up there for you. Stevegroff.com slash book. There you go. Perfect. I've got several uh, followers that are on here every week, and I, I appreciate that. And Lou Mile is one of them. Um, Steve, that you you have got so much going on, man. Um, and I I have had the privilege to come and speak in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. It is an amazing group of, of farmers you have there. Um, you know, I didn't sense any competition. I just sensed, how are we going to make this better? How, you know, I'm doing this. I tried that. That's where I really like uh, what you've done there with that aspect. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, the name, the name of the group. The Pennsylvania No-Till Alliance. And, you know, if it'd be formed today, it probably wouldn't be called the No-Till Alliance, but it was formed yeah. about 20 years ago or whatever when No-Till was the thing. Uh, and yes, it's, it's, you, you have to be a farmer to be on the board. And I th- think that is, is what makes the tone of everything. Um, and, you know, and I, I will say I, I recently got off that uh, board, but uh, it's a great organization and yeah. farmers helping farmers. That's the logo. We do two main field days uh, around the state in the summer and a couple meetings in the winter. And um, it's, it's just, practical information one of the coolest things that we've been doing lately is when we have a field day in the summer we ask local farmers to bring in their planters and because oh. every farmer loves to look and see what their neighbor has on or yeah. other and that's all well, that's been kind of a highlight uh to just to look over and have them explain this is why i'm using this or i use these things these road cleaners last year and now i have a new set of whatever um so yeah so that's that's really what uh, the Pennsylvania Alliance is. That's a big deal. I'll tell you, when you asked me to come and speak to that, I I was honored because yeah. you are going now to the Mecca, you know, Lancaster County, and and the, the tent was full and people were listening. I think it was even being recorded, I think. Uh, and I will never forget, I do not remember the gentleman's first name, but I think it was Mr. Bupp. Leroy Bupp. Leroy Bupp was given a, a some, maybe a 50 year recognition, something. Yes. I think he'd been no tilling for 50, 50 years. years. Yeah, him and Jeff Fry are our longest uh, no tillers. Um, it's crazy. 50 years they started. And it's, it's just interesting. Their stories are like the rest of us. You know, the reason they started is not why they're doing it today. Yeah. That's yeah. what's funny about it. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, we, we, I, I think sometimes, and I'll say this as a Pennsylvanian, you know, some, I mean, everybody hears about the Chesapeake Bay, but that has really been a stimulus for the widespread adoption of use of cover crops in no-till. And at first there was resistance, but then uh, as farmers got to learn how to do it and be successful, they realized, you know, hey, this is pretty good after all. And uh, so generally, I mean, we're at, we're at a solid 70% no-till and cover crops here in Lancaster County it's it is I would just I just took a, a longer trip right across the county uh, yesterday 
and again, of course, I'm, you know, as any farmer, I'm just looking left and right and all the fields. Oh, yeah. and, and, you know, a lot of our corn's off already now, but most every field, most every field has cover crops planted. Oh, and it's green. I mean, it is green. Um, I literally, a couple, five years ago or so now, uh, in December, the, the first week of December, we had a nice week there and things like kind of greened up again. I, I hired an airplane and I went and took, took pictures of the county just to show how green it was. And that's uh, awesome. And it, it is, it is, but we have more work to do because this county has, is an importing county of corn um, because we have so many animals. Oh, wow. And, and you know where I'm going with that. That means manure and the manure is not exported. No. So that's why we're having trouble yet trying to get rid of this appropriately to spread yeah. it, literally spread it out appropriately because some fields are still too high in wow. phosphorus and, and then nitrogen and stuff. Um, but wow. so that's there's still work to be done here. Yeah. Oh yeah, there always is. But but Steve, you've got to you've got to pat yourself on the back a little bit here because I mean I mean, I know you're not the only one, but you're you're one of the main leaders driving this and it's not only just, I mean, if you talk to a lot of people in the regenerative world and you ask them the county in Pennsylvania, it's, it's the same answer. It's Lancaster. It's the same answer every time. So, you know, take credit for that. And thank you so much. I mean, my gosh, Steve, uh, how long, how long have you been no telling? 40 years. Uh, 1982 was when I first started, and uh, that field has not been touched by tillage, and it's gone. It's well, well over 6% organic matter, and it's 17% slope, by the way. Wow. Which you don't understand, Rick. No. <laughs> no, no. 2% or 3% slope for me is insane. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, you know what, Steve? One of the, you know, every time I speak somewhere, to a group of farmers, I, I'm trying to remember to ask one question every time, and I, I asked it at your event as well, but I asked the room, who in this room has been no-tilling for at least 30 years? Mm -hmm. And everywhere I go, there's at least one person, if not two or three, that raise their hand up. That's something. And then I tell the audience, those are the people you need to stop and talk to because they're going to be here when I go home. Yes, indeed. And, and I, you know... I, I want to get into a little bit about the edge. I mean, I, I know we're, we're running here on time, but, but man, we, I, I got to keep you going here. All right. Let's talk about how important education is here, because see, this is what I see as a main stumbling block here. If we're really going to put the gas down on this and move this forward, we've got to have teachers out there like you. So how are we going to do this? Well, whenever that question's asked, uh, well, how can we move the, you know, usually it's in the context of cover crops or no-till, how can we move that forward? How we can, and, and I always say education. Uh, now, the, the good thing is, is that, you know, 40 years ago, I bought my first no-till planter 38 years ago, and I literally, literally made row cleaners for it because uh, they weren't available that I knew of. I just wish I would have kept them. I hope someday I find a picture of them. I haven't found it yet. Um, yeah. So a lot of us, we, we made our own stuff. We just made it work. And um, so now we have, every, we, have we, we have all the tools anybody needs. That's no longer an excuse. Yeah. But I, it comes down to management. And, you know, I have a, a saying, you know, you got to treat your cover crops like your cash crops. And that's a mindset. And that's important. But it's the key to success is management. Yeah. And management has, uh, to, to get to that point, you have to 
be a learner. Yeah. Uh, you have to ask the questions. And my advice to anybody listening here is if you want to take your game to the next level, regardless if you're moldboard plowing today, I don't care if you're moldboard plowing today, or if you've no-tilled for 25 years and want to take it to the next level, seek out someone who is doing what you want to accomplish, yeah. whatever that is, if you can, preferably in your local area, that's getting more and more popular for all of us now. If not, who is it that's doing what you want to accomplish? That's your best resource. Yeah, that's uh, good advice. So that's my that's my best advice for someone who's serious. Uh, they want I have you know what I call mentors, literally somewhere around the world, um, and some of them are close by here. Uh, but it, you just got to learn because you know things are evolving. You know, to year to year on on various aspects of all this. For instance, um, for me, I'm I'm trying to wean myself off synthetic fertilizer um, and especially nitrogen. And but it's not just replacing that with legumes because legumes aren't that great in building soil health or soil right. quality. Uh, they just aren't. Grasses are better. And then I think, and this is just kind of like an epiphany that came to me one day. Well, here in Pennsylvania, we have woods, right? Well, there's no legumes in the woods, very few. But you think about the prairies out in your area and, and beyond, there's rarely legumes there. And it still seems to grow on disturbed areas. Yeah. So, you know, how can we mimic that? How can we get the biology to the point where we have the critters in there that are making the nitrogen that we know plants need? I took soil tests of my woods. The base saturation of calcium is 29%. You would think, how could you grow anything there? It's certainly in a, an agronomy, we would say, no, that, that's a disaster. But somehow the woods is green. It was right. green in summer. You know, and so there, what, what can we learn from all this? And I know I'm rambling on a little bit, but um, oh, no. there, there's just something to be said. We have so much to learn yet. Oh, yeah. I have so much to learn. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm trying to figure some of this stuff out, trying to get more of the, the minor nutrients into my crop so that when whoever eats it, if it's an animal or a person, that they're going to be healthier and they'll be able to get absorb those nutrients into their guts yeah. and into their body uh, so that they're healthier people that can fend off chronic diseases and all this toxicity we have around us. Yeah, I totally agree. I absolutely totally agree with everything you said because that we, we need to combat the the health issues have to start with food it has to and you can't get healthy food unless you've got healthy soil so that truly is where it starts at the soil yep and and steve i've got a saying that i like to use too that's similar to similar to yours but the success of next year's cash crop starts with the success of this year's cover crop it's that important i, I agree yeah it's that important yep. Well, if folks, we're gonna we're gonna try to wind this down here. Let's see what, um, yeah, Bryce Bryce Custer out in Kansas. Thank you, Steve, for all you've done. You're still doing. Thank you, um, Steve. Take us home here. Let, let's wrap this up. What what are your closing comments? What 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 words of encouragement do you have for us here? So let us let's have it. Well, I'll just circle back and say wherever you're at. Um, you know, look, think about what you want to accomplish. Yeah. And then seek out people who are doing that. Um, and, you know, 
and we all know that the internet can be helpful, but you got to you got to filter that through your situation. Everything's about context. Yeah. And uh, surround yourself with people who are championing what you want to accomplish. Uh, do not, do not, do not, um, you know, do not focus on on people who are always negative and and against you know what you're trying to do. If you sincerely believe. Right. That, that you want to move forward in this regenerative movement, you have to surround yourself with those who are like-minded in that quest. And I think that's the best advice I can give generally here um, to, to do oh, that. Yeah. I'm doing that myself and in the context that I am in right now. Um, and I, I believe, you know, for me, it's food is medicine, plant-based medicine, whatever little catchy phrase you want to use. I'm doing some of that with my CBD and it's all, I got to tell you, Rick, it is bringing me extreme gratification to hear people who no longer have migraine headaches or are sleeping better. Um, and, and I never have, you don't, you don't get the guy at the, at the local um, where you sell your corn, go and shake your hand and say, Hey, thanks for uh, that awesome corn you sent us. Uh, you know, I feel better. You know, you never hear that. But yeah. to, to hear the stuff that I grew in my farm is changing people's lives, that is powerful and powerful. it's gratifying. And, and I'm I'm just That's saying that is this my with my experience and and I think that can occur in your corn eventually. Uh, that that's you know, and I know you sell uh, beef. Deep and all, all that so that's the mentality we need to have we need to help people yeah. and i throw in here by the way we're helping the planet too with everything we're doing but i'm more about helping people and uh, so i think we all you know need to think more in along those lines and yeah. so i guess that's you know that's kind of my bringing at home speech um well keep up the great work i mean you've done years of of, of service to this regenerative movement thank you uh mm -hmm. A lot of us wouldn't be where we are without without you and your your thoughts. So thanks, Steve. Uh, you're you're welcome. I, I I don't do it for that. I enjoy what I, I, know. I do, but I appreciate it. I do appreciate it. that 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 inspires me to continue on. Yeah. Well, it, this has been awesome. Uh, believe it or not, we've spoke for an hour and a half. It doesn't seem like it. Uh, Steve, thank you for giving us your time. Yes, sir. And and good luck with the rest of, of your fall and into the into the winter. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rick. And to all those who are listening, you know, all the best. Stay curious. Keep learning. Uh, perfect. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye.